Hi church, we're reading today from the Psalms and from Galatians. We're going to start in the Psalms at 126. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter, our tongues with songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us and we are filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy, carrying sheaves with them. And Galatians, starting at chapter 16, at verse 16, chapter 5. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This is the word of the Lord. All right. I think uh, the technical issues have been sorted out with this microphone, so my bad. Uh, Here we go. It's exciting to be here for a few reasons, Uh, and and what a privilege to come as a guest speaker today on a really special occasion. Um, Two baptisms, fantastic, so great to be able to participate with you in that and kind of get such a great insight into the life of your community. Um, uh, It's good here to be here today, Um, also because Pete and John have uh, actually... um, and I'm not sure if you know this, but in the last few weeks, they've come and preached at our church, at the church next door. And so it's really lovely to be able to have this sort of symbiotic thing where we can sort of come and serve one another in this way. I do want to acknowledge that, I'm not sure if you guys mentioned it to one another, but when both Pete and John came and they preached, they both began by talking about the differences of the eastern suburbs and the western suburbs and how... <laughs> The, the West was way tougher. They both like, wanted to make sure that we all knew in the East that the West is tough, it's dangerous, and look, it's risky if you would tread out here. So it's, it's good. I made it here safely, guys. I'm excited to be here uh, and bring some of my East comfort to you. Um, hopefully, uh, it's not too soft for us today. But it is nice to participate with such a hardcore group. Uh, and just to follow on also, just to, I acknowledge that um, you're going Did I just drop out? You're two weeks into a series of um, the fruit of the Spirit, which means that today, after an introduction 
and then we hit love. The next one is joy, and that's what we're looking at this afternoon, joy. And so I'll be sharing about that in just a minute. Uh, if you'll join with me, I'd love to pray as we begin. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Uh, this is your day, Lord, and uh, it's good to be here as your people in your name. Thank you that we get to do that. And God, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we can look to it with hope, knowing that it is truth that speaks into our everyday life. And we pray, Father, that even right now, that by your spirit, you would be meeting us in our hearts right where we're at, exactly where we need to be encouraged by your words here. Lord, would you lead us to both repentance and faith as we seek to know you more, to trust you, and to enjoy you more today. Thank you, Father. Amen. Well, the fruit of the Spirit, joy. Uh, I'm going to cut straight to the chase, and I'm going to say I've got three points today. I'm not going to muck around. Three points, and I want to talk about joy. What is joy? It's, these are the three things. What is joy and where does it come from? That's one. How do you get joy? And then, importantly, how do you keep it? Okay? What is joy and where does it come from? How do you get it? And how do you keep it? This is what I want to look at. Now, firstly, okay, so what is joy and where does it come from? Well, if we were reading the Greek text, we would read the word joy as kara, okay, which translates as joy or delight, but and importantly, it refers to an inner gladness, okay? That's what we're talking about when we talk about joy. But me telling you that probably doesn't actually help you understand joy any further, since joy is something that primarily we feel. It's a feeling. And therefore, joy, as far as the fruit of the Spirit goes, it kind of stands out amongst the sort of characteristics that almost have an ethical nature to them, right? And then we have this one there, joy, and it's something that we sort of understand most of the time through something that we feel. So then, joy is something that we experience deep. But how do you know you're feeling joy? Think about this. If you were were to do what I'm doing right now and try to explain what is joy to someone, how would you do it? How would you describe what joy is. I asked my, uh, my grade three daughter this question, and uh, she, I said, do you know what joy is? And she said, yes. I said, well, how would you describe it? And she thought for a second, and she said, I don't know. <laughs> Which, if you know my daughter, you'd know that's a strange thing. She usually has an answer for things, most things, right? So I asked my wife, and I said, well, how would you describe joy? And she said, straight away, without missing a beat, joy is the feeling I get when I see a smile on our kid's face. And I said, fantastic, but what is that? <laughs> what, is, what is it? How do you actually know that that is joy? What creates that for you? And she said, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to describe, yet it's something that we read here in this passage, which talks about what it means to know Christ truly as a normal Christian experience. Joy is a normal Christian experience. It's also not a bad selling point to the world around us because everyone is looking for joy or some formal version of it, right? Even though we probably don't think of it as joy. We don't, we don't talk about it. When's the last conversation you had with friends over a barbecue about joy? Rarely, I'm sure. <laughs> 
But we all want this, and we know that we want it. We, we know that we want it. I think partly why it's hard to identify is because it confuses us since we're so bombarded with lesser forms of gratification. Completely bombarded with lesser forms of gratification. Think about it. We know how to be entertained, right? And, and have this gratifying experience at the press of a button. That's our expectation, that we will be fulfilled at the press of a button and we can stream content straight away. Think about it. When you order a takeaway coffee, how many seconds does it take before you feel the urge to pull your phone out and, you know, fill that gap and be gratified in that instance, right? There's an expectation when we go out that food is supposed to do more than just nothing us, but every meal ought to be grammable, insta-worthy. It's not just something that fills our belly, it, 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 it excites us that we can tell our friends about. Holidays should be more than restful, they're supposed to be life-changing. Marie Kondo would tell us to measure items by the question, does this bring me joy? Do you see what we've come to? Do you see how big of an issue this is? Clothes. Appliances, cutlery, rugs, Tupperware now come with an expectation that they will bring you joy. That's a lot of pressure on the stuff in your house. <laughs> Yet we know that joy is bigger than that. We know that joy is bigger. We know that there is a gaping hole between joy and happiness. Right? This is why Pharrell says that happiness feels like, it's, he, it's a, it feels like a room without a roof. Right? That's what he says. You know the song? I'm not going to sing it because no one can do that tune without the music, right? But that's what he says. Joy or happiness is like a, like a room without a roof, which is a good feeling. But yet Isaac Watts tells us that joy commands all heaven and nature to sing. Let earth receive the king, right? That's a big difference, a significant gap. When we're thinking about joy, C.S. Lewis wrote a lot about joy, um, of course, I have to make at least one C.S. Lewis reference while I'm here. Um, uh, does that happen weekly? <laughs> no? Yeah, it does. It does. C.S. Lewis wrote a lot about joy because he was captured by it. I um, think he was fascinated by joy. Uh, he talked about joy's relationship with things. Uh, these, and this is what he said in, in his writing, The Weight of Glory. These this is what C.S. Lewis said about joy in the weight of glory. He said, these things, the beauty, the memory of our own past are good images of what we really desire. But if they're mistaken for the thing itself, for joy itself, they turn into dumb idols, breaking the hearts of their worshippers, for they're not the thing itself. They are the scent of a flower we haven't found, the echo of the tune we have not heard, news from a country we have never yet visited. His autobiography was called Surprised by Joy, and he spoke of the experiences of joy being almost the thing that led him to belief in God. It's what made him want to become a Christian. For him, an acknowledgement that there was something outside the experiences of joy that was creating the sensation of joy that he discovered. So he described joy, and this, and this is how he described it, as an inconsolable longing, but a good kind of longing, the sort of longing that is as satisfying as getting the thing that you are longing for, which kind of then connects back into where joy comes from. That, he assumed, could only come from God. 
So when the Bible talks about joy, and it makes sense then that God would talk a lot about joy, and, it, and the Bible speaks frequently of joy. But it gives a much larger perspective. We read the passage earlier from Psalm 126 about people who experience joy in a season of longing, about a memory of a season a long time ago that they found joy, and by recalling it and remembering it, they were actually brought into this kind of new season which was difficult, and yet they could, they could understand the joy even of that moment because what they had experienced in the past had, had given them hope to understand who God is, and, and that for them was joy. Most notably, Paul, who wrote the passage that we're looking at this afternoon, uh, when he was in prison, even with death breathing down his neck, he talked of the joy that he experienced that went beyond his circumstances. And from that prison cell, he then encouraged his readers to you know, uh, rejoice in the Lord always. Because, re- because joy actually comes not as a result of circumstances. This is what he's saying. He's saying, rejoice in the Lord always, even when you, are, you don't know if this day will be your last. And again, I say rejoice. See, if joy comes from a fantastic experience, then it must be dependent on your circumstance. It has to be. But the biblical view of joy is that it comes from God. It's an outworking of who he is and what he has done for us, which means our opportunity for joy is as dependable as God is. And that's a good thing. But my question for you today is, do you know that kind of joy, that sort of inner gladness that surpasses circumstances, or maybe you're chasing happiness, the thrill of experiences, or are you waiting for the person, the job, the house, the season of life that might bring you joy? How does your, I guess what I'm talking about is an if-only statement. How would you say your if-only statement finishes? If only there was this, then I would feel that. Joy, if it comes from God, is something that we can be sure of. So how do you get it? How do you get joy? Well, the way we get joy is the same that we get all the other fruit of the Spirit. Pete mentioned it a couple of weeks ago. John mentioned it last week. Uh, I've been listening to the podcast, by the way. It's a matter of desire. In, in verse 16 to 18 that was read earlier, it describes how there are two natures of forces or, or forces at work in every Christian. There's our flesh and then there's the Spirit of God. And they are always in contrast, but we will be always be living by one or the other. Okay? The fact that the Bible uses the word desire and it's not so much interested about the Christian experience being about making sure you do the right thing or don't do the wrong thing, importantly, right? That's actually, I think, an encouragement to us, okay? The Bible talks about Christians as living by desire, but it's an encouragement as well as a warning. It's an encouragement in the sense that it acknowledges that we were born hungry with an appetite with an appetite for life and for goodness and for things that we can enjoy within God's creation and to be fulfilled and satisfied by it. That's a fantastic thing. And yet it's also a warning because we know as a result of that then our hearts are constantly hungry, searching for satisfaction, searching for joy, searching for inner gladness. And if we aren't careful, they have the capacity to turn almost anything into something that can satisfy its lusts. Which is why Pete mentioned a couple weeks ago that the word here for desire that we're looking at in Galatians 5 often translates as lust, but most literally means an over-desire. 
And so we often attribute value to things or people that really only belongs to God. Some people say that is the very definition of sin. Looking to anything other than God for identity and satisfaction. And when it comes to joy, it means that we look for things to give us delight or people to give us delight and inner gladness when only God can. Which is why we're so frequently left burnt or upset or frustrated when things didn't turn out how we hoped. Alternatively, the role of the Spirit is to illuminate the work and person of Jesus in our life in such a way that we desire Him and only Him to completely satisfy us and bring us true joy. So walking by the Spirit, as Paul commands us to do here, it means cultivating and collecting opportunities to celebrate Jesus and and, and the meaning of His substitutionary life death and resurrection for us, right? However, I find that when it comes particularly to joy, when we're looking at the fruit of the Spirit, I am most aware of it when I'm not looking to Jesus and I'm looking to something else. I don't know if that's your experience as well, but for me, that's most often the case. Rather than I'm identifying, I'm experiencing joy because I'm looking to Jesus. Does that make sense? Let me... um, let me share something that happened with me a couple of weeks ago. I'll bear my soul for a minute here, so just give me some grace. Uh, I was in a conversation, which um, it was an online conversation, and uh, part of the discussion, I put something out there, as you do, uh, and it, it was a private conversation, not like on Facebook or something like that. But I put something out there, and I kind of expected I'd get a certain response. And I didn't get the response that I was looking for. In fact, I didn't get any response. I got complete silence. Um, and, and so what I did was I analysed the silence. You know, have you ever done that? I wonder why they didn't do that. Oh, you know, and it starts out like this. Well, they're busy. I'm busy. So, you know, that's why they didn't reply, because they're busy. This is a group of people. Uh, they didn't reply because, you know, they, you know, they got kids like I do, yada, yada, yada. I have a lot of grace for people in that moment. But then as time went on, um, I thought, actually, it can't just be that they're busy. I've obviously seen it now. They, They know. They know what's happening, and so therefore it must be another reason why. And so I began to analyze the silence in perhaps a more motivational way. Oh, they obviously were upset by something I said. You know, I don't know what it was. I wish they would have just told me. Maybe you could just pick up the phone and call me and just tell me what it was, you know? Um, and then I started to think, well, what was it that I would have said? Uh, you know what? They, they're probably just annoyed that I even asked this question at all. And, and they just upset at me and they're angry at me because this is the sort of thing I always do. And I began to spiral and spiral and spiral to the point where I was, I was thinking, oh, it's me. It's me. They're completely right. They probably don't even want to be my friend. They're just doing it. They're they're enduring me. They're not actually people who actually like me. And, you know, like, they're they're completely right. And and, and it got to the point where I I started thinking to myself, well, it's because I'm I'm, I'm silly. I'm pathetic. Why would they respond? They're completely right to not respond. And I'd like to say that that that, um, trajectory happened over the course of days, but it was much quicker than that. Um, 
to the point where I was stewing over their perceptions and thinking, well, they're pathetic too. Well, who needs friends like them anyway? Uh, and as I prayed, I realized that my joy, uh, my, sense of, my sense of inner delight was tied up in the perceptions of what other people thought. I, I never would have picked that of me. And here I was, a crumbled mess. The passage we read earlier, the, the, the two verses that precede it say this, For you were called to be free, brothers. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbour as yourself, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you'll be consumed by one another. Which is exactly how I felt. Like I'd been consumed by the opinions the non-existent opinions of my friends. I was in a hole. I felt the truth of that so deeply. You see what I did? I turned something good, which was friendship, into a God. The inclinations of my heart, apparently, are to find joy outside of God, to find a joy on my own that I can create and that I can rest in. The result was that I was crushed by my friends and they didn't even do anything. I was crushed. And at the same time, internally, I was crushing them under the weight of my own expectation. And I think about that. And then I'm reminded that um, Jesus, who all in the night before he was crucified, he washed the feet of his friends even the ones he knew would walk away from him in his greatest hour of need. He shared a meal with his friends, even the one who would betray him. He went to pray with his friends only to find them falling asleep while he sweated blood. And yet we're told in Hebrews that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. That is, it was for his friends that had hurt him and broken him and, and, and caused him pain that actually became the joy for which he endured the greatest pain. That is, it was a joy for him to save the ones who let him down. The reason why our joy can only come from Jesus is that he's the only one thing or person for which his joy is dependent on his own faithfulness, not the value of that which he is pursuing. You can substitute whatever you want in the place of friends in my story, you can put a car or a house or a job or whatever you want in there and the same will be true. Only Jesus is truly dependable for an inner gladness. So that's how you get joy. It's through Jesus and only Jesus, right? Everything else will break you. But how do you keep joy? Well, before I go too far into that, I just want to take an aside for a second and, and sort of like follow on the, the C.S. Lewis journey and what he said about joy after he came to faith in Christ. Here's what he said. And the reason why I want to tell you this is because I think if we sort of get confused that joy, even though it's a feeling, even though it's this, um, this inconsolable longing for something that actually, you know what I mean? Like th that that is supposed to be this buzz, this constant, you know? If it is, we're in trouble. Like, because no one here is like jumping out of their seat going, yes, yes, yes. Like that's not the normal Christian experience. So is it elation? that we're supposed to experience or something else? What is joy then in the ongoing Christian experience? I like what C.S. Lewis said afterwards. He said, I believe 
that the old stab, the old bittersweet has come to me as often and as sharply since my conversion as at any time of my life, whatever. But I now know that the experience had never had the kind of importance I once gave it. It was valuable only as a pointer to something outer and other. While that other was in doubt, the pointer naturally loomed large in my thoughts. But when we found the road and are passing signposts every few miles, we shall not stop and stare. They will encourage us and we shall be grateful to the authority that set them up. But we shall not stop and stare or not much, not on this road, though their pillars are of silver and their lettering of gold. It's important to have kind of like this understanding that joy, yes, it's a feeling. It's, it's a normal Christian experience and that we feel this thing. This inconsolable longing, that's actually a good thing. And yet, we also need to understand it as a quiet confidence based in something not that we create, but that who God is and what he's done for us. Does that make sense? See, the reason why is because I already pointed out earlier that so many examples of joy in Scripture actually happen when people are going through pain. And we need to acknowledge the difficulty of life and understand that we, if joy isn't based on circumstances, we have to know how to deal with it when we're going through hardship. In 2 Corinthians, Paul's going through one of his lists. Where, you know how he lists all the things about he's, that have been difficult for him? He's going through one of his lists. And he, he gets to one point and he says this about um, his experience, that he was grieving and yet rejoicing. What that means is that there's a really healthy way for us to approach joy, especially if it's based in something that's already happened, already complete in and through the work of Jesus. It means we get to acknowledge how we're feeling and yet place our hope and trust, place our inner gladness on what Jesus has done and that it's bigger than even the situation we're facing in that space and time. Nevertheless, I want to point out two things, two ways that we can keep joy in our life. The first one is truthful confession and the second one is truthful worship. I'll be really brief here and just to point out, truthful confession, right? And what I mean when I say that is that we should be aware of our flesh and what it's reaching for, the things that it's seeking to grab onto. It means not just identifying that you're looking to something other than God for joy, but being willing to spend time to ask why. Acknowledge the feeling and, and, and then figure out, and sit with it and ask, why am I feeling like that? Why is this person having such an impact on me? I wonder what it is that I'm, what sort of weight I'm putting on them. Why is this situation doing that, that same thing, right? What it means is there's not like a really clear cut, you do this, you do that, and then you pray that, and then you're done. No, we, we sit with it. The answer to how complex that process will be, will be something along the lines of how complex your heart is, okay? So it means we actually need to be patient, sit and be willing to ask that question. Rather than just acknowledging that we've done something wrong, we've attached our hope to something other than God, we need to see what beliefs are driving our actions and confess those beliefs. Yeah. The part B of the story of me and my friends happened about a week later when we were sitting down having dinner and I was confessing my sin to them, the very people who I was so angry at. And they prayed for me and they noticed that I was really contrite and that I experienced pain and, and trouble. And so they, they sort of consoled me and they were saying that, you know, um, 
we all, we all have this. We all do things. We're all broken. We all, you, we all go through this sometimes. And as they prayed for me, I, I, I just felt like God was saying, there's something bigger than that, though. You need something bigger than that. And what I needed to say to them was, no, 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 this isn't just a matter of a, a sorry situation. And I, said, I looked them in the eyes and I said, I, I have been overlooking God's goodness to find goodness in you. And I'm sorry for that. You see, I actually needed to not just acknowledge that there was a difficult thing going on, but I actually need to ask what it was that I was doing in me. And so I, I said to them, I need you to help me know when I'm doing that again, because I think I might do it again. <laughs> do, do you see how that works? I need to ask the why. But then truthful worship is the mirror image of that, the, the next step that has to come immediately after, where we call out and proclaim what we've done in you know, rebellion against God, that we then call out what is true and good of God in the same sentence. Okay, that's, that, that's why it becomes truthful worship. We need to confess what is true of God and actually rejoice in that. Knowing that he is the better version is what brings us joy. The other side to acknowledging what our flesh over-desires is to acknowledge all the ways that the Spirit reveals to us opportunities to delight in God's goodness and provision. It means growing in gratitude. It means acknowledging all the things around us that show God's goodness. You know, my girls are a little bit big now, um, and so it's harder to do this uh, activity that I used to do with them more frequently when they could fit in a pram. Now I've got to like take them on a walk and it's a bit of a process. I'm going to finish with this story. Uh, but I, I would take my girls for a walk and whenever they're willing to sort of pause before we go for a walk around the lake that I live near now, uh, we still do the same thing. I say, hey, how about as we're walking, we just acknowledge, find, find one thing that you can see that God's made that that makes you excited or that you can see is, makes him good, right? And um, every time we would just end up praying and worshipping. No, it's not true. They were kids, right? <laughs> They're like, whatever, Dad, sure, good one. But every now and again, you know, and I would have to model it for them. I'd have to say, wow, the trees. Even look at these leaves, girls. These, these are amazing. Can you believe that we could actually know the one who made this? Blah, 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 right? And it would end up being a really celebratory experience. And uh, my girls, they, they, they got onto it. I didn't know how much they got onto it until one day, this is during COVID, I was going for a walk with my youngest one, four years old, and we're walking around the park, and I didn't say anything, and she didn't tell me she was going to say anything, and she was just a few steps in front of me, but I could see her face, and I saw, I saw her close her eyes, and she whispered these words, thank you God for the trees, thank you for the grass, thank you that it all came from you, this is amazing. That was her prayer. And you know what? As a dad, I was so welled up with pride, you know? Not because I think that she's made it. She has a, you know, she's got a lot of challenges ahead of her. She will question and doubt God all along the way. But you know what I'm excited about? Is that she actually knows where to find joy. She at least has known that at some point in her life, where to find joy. And that rather than going to things to seek the joy, the things actually become the signposts that call out to the one who brings joy which means that we get to actually not just avoid things in life, but we actually get to celebrate because the things actually connect us to the goodness that God has done in and through the things that he's put right in front of us. Guys, this means that we get to worship God ongoingly, 
truthfully. This means that we get to well up with joy every time we're reminded of something that he's done, something good that he's created, something that he's gifted us or blessed us with. Do you know where to find joy? I pray that you would. I pray that you would know that joy comes through Jesus. And it's complete because what he has done for us has been completed. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that our, our joy, our joy is safe in you. Thank you for the grace of that. We didn't earn it, but you have gifted it to us. Thank you, God, that nothing can compare with that and that you haven't hidden it from us, but that we can enjoy you. Lord, I pray, please, by your Spirit, would you, would you build up in us the fruit of your Spirit, and particularly that we would know, know, what, know what your joy is like and that we would be joy seekers. Thank you that we get to do that as your people because of Jesus. In your name, amen. I think, are we going to have a reflection time for a couple of minutes? Is that right? Um, so just quietly reflect. And I think then it, there's a phone number. My phone number's on the screen. Uh, feel free to send me a text. Um, and if you have any questions, then I'll be able to come and try and answer them in a couple of minutes. Um, thanks, everyone. Um, I'll start with one, because uh, I don't know most of the people who have sent me a text. Um, so th the person who asked if they answered their own question, yes. Um, really, I love the question, and, but I think he did. That was really good. Um, so now I'll move on to another question. Um, <laughs> the, I was meaning just to communicate with that person, but yeah. Okay, so given the tendency to seek and the availability of lesser pleasures, how can we train ourselves to retrain our attention on Jesus and experience joy? Well, I, I think that actually calling things out, uh, when we see them acknowledging the good things in life that God has done and, and calling that out, I don't know about you, but um, in my sort of culture and experience in the eastern suburbs, I don't know if it changes over here in the west, but what I find is in Australian culture, we're not very um, open, and, or we're not really sort of praiseworthy type people, like we're more sort of polite, keep to ourselves and that sort of thing, but I wonder if we adopted a bit more of a celebratory response, a joyful attitude around certain things that uh, would actually grow in, in actually experiencing joy itself. For instance, as a flow on from the story I was telling about my kids um, and how trying to teach them to acknowledge the goodness of God just in everyday life, uh, that spills over every now and again into something like when we have a meal, sure we pray before the meal and we, we thank God for the food, um, but like if it's spaghetti bolognese as an example, and it's particularly good, like it's absolutely nailed it, or if it's just a great experience, then I, I, I think in the moment, why not say that and go, praise the God of spaghetti bolognese. Do you know what I mean? Like, or, or to actually go, to actually say to someone, I just had the best coffee and it blew my mind. Praise the God who makes the coffee. Can you believe that we get to, I think, I know that might sound silly, but I, I actually think that we need to sort of be more joyful in our attitude in such a way that it actually cultivates joy. We actually, it's not that the joy isn't there unless we say it, 
but sometimes it's sort of like the other C.S. Lewis quote where he talks about how um, worship is actually dependent on calling it out and that we, we need to express it in order to experience the fullness of how good it actually is. So I would say grow in being, like, if I can speak to Inner West, how do you want to be known, right, as a church? I hope that's okay for me to pose as a question. But how do you want to be known? As a celebratory people who are excited about life and faith and what God has done for you? Or as people who are sort of ho-hum and like, yeah, yeah, you know, we do church stuff. And blah, blah. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, I feel like Christians, we sort of wear that a little bit. And I wonder if we could enjoy what God's done for us in a more vocal kind of way sometimes. Okay. Um, how do we make space and time to do the difficult work of sitting with the beliefs that are bearing a lack of joy, both alone and in community? Um, the making time question, making space and time is key. And to be honest, if, if I don't know your life, I don't, I don't know the answer. Aside from actually saying that um, my recommend, or what I would tend to think is that if it's worth it for you, if, if the value attached to it is joy, then I would... I would make more space and more time than, than perhaps what I was currently doing. Do you get what I'm saying? Like, um, like uh, if my joy was riding on actually processing something, then I would spend the money, I would make the space, I would wake up, I would be tired for a day in order to experience what I need to experience in order to process that. Outside of that, I think you also hit another nail on the, net, on the head when talking about community and actually that I think that sometimes it's the external processing that happens within community with friends who actually care about you and are willing to ask good questions in love, actually bring out the things that we need to hear ourselves say, actually need to actually cause us to think about the things that perhaps we don't think about unless someone asks it. Does that make sense? I hope that makes sense. I, I would, I like the, I'd much rather a dialogue than um, just answering these questions. I'm sorry if, I don't know if I'm doing this right. Um, should I leave it there? One more? One more, okay. Um, where in scripture would you find keeping joy to be truthful confession and truthful worship? <sighs> truthful confession and truthful worship. Um, good question. Um, if you want to know where, I, where the idea came, that came from for that particular understanding, uh, it's in um, uh, sort of like a, a tool that we use um, often called Fruit to Root. And basically it's working through the things that we experience and feel down to how they actually become beliefs. Um, and so it sort of works on two, two sides of that sort of same, same equation, that our beliefs, um, our, our feelings that stem from a belief, but then... Uh, we need to correct our beliefs with truth and then actually, uh, that actually leads to feelings that match that, if that makes sense. So where I go with, with that one is that when in Luke 6, where Jesus says, from the overflow of the mouth, from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so I think it might not be a direct answer to how that leads to truthful confession or truthful worship, but I think what it's actually identifying is that what's happening in our heart as far as a belief level actually determines sort of a little bit about what we say, and so there's a to and fro between dealing with both of those things, both what we are 
how we behave and therefore how we track back to what we believe. Does that make sense at all? I hope that makes sense. Um, it's a huge question and there's lots of other huge questions I didn't answer, but um, I hope that sort of helps. I'm up for a conversation with anyone who would like to do that afterwards.